This week's recap of Tough as Nails is sponsored by rockauto.com. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and reliably low. rockauto.com offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like the airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require a membership or account login. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. So go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even an alternator or two. Uh, check out they've got even carpeting for your car whether it's for your classic or daily driver get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door the rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle choose the brands specifications and prices you prefer best of all prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers so why spend up to twice as much for the same parts go to rockauto.com right now see all the parts available for your car or truck right rob has a podcast in the how did you hear about us box so they'll know that we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices and all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com Episode number eight of Tough as Nails. I am Rob Sesternino, back talking about a fiery episode of Tough as Nails for this week. Uh, let's bring in our savage crew. Here she is. Uh, she's ready to talk about the five hole today. Uh, of course, it's the great Jessica Lee. Jessica, how are you? Uh, Rob, I need, I need another microphone here. This one's on fire. Oh, yes. Yes. It's all the hot takes. So many conversations. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. And a man who is decked out in full asbestos uh, gear today, coming off of a birthday. Here is uh, give it up for Mr. Mike Bloom. Yeah, I went a little overboard with the candles, but I think we're okay right now. Got my Pulaski's in and even my Crushers, and uh, we were able to to make do. I'm so happy. Uh, you know, when I was hearing about disaster zones and bubbling acid and hazardous materials, I thought we were still watching Big Brother 22, but uh, no, it was tough <laughs> as nails. Yes. In an episode that uh, featured a burning building with a chemical spill and nuclear waste no episode really captured the mood of 2020 like last night <laughs> tough as nails oh, i was gonna say i understand why mike might still be in a fireproofing suit if he's done any coverage of big brother recently <laughs> he's gonna need to be protected from the from the blowback yeah and ironically enough uh last night's challenge was all about dragging and that's what big brother twitter's mo is Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. all right uh phil is going to uh join us in uh just a bit but we're gonna oh well what would miles say about that (laughs) yeah that's that's right (laughs) where is my man phil at yeah 
Uh, just like the Tough as Nails teams got to the challenge, and then they had to do a five-mile hike before they got to see <laughs> Phil. I guess that's uh, not dissimilar to what we are experiencing right now. This is our metaphorical five-mile hike. Exactly. Survivor Guatemala realness. I just, I'm just, i glad that nobody passed out and had the eyes roll to the back of their head. I, I think my arm's broken. Yes. Uh, Mike, how was your birthday? It was nice. Uh, you know, it's a, these are weird times that we live in. And so uh, while the, the gratitudes on my birthday were, were purely virtual and my, my routine did not change much outside of a very uh, nice and intimate dinner, I, I had a good time. And I had a good time being able to, to watch some reality TV as well. Again, in times where I think we're grateful for any new episodes of television, I count my blessings. Uh, yes. You know, that, that I, was, I did not have as nearly a bad wednesday august 19th as young and so i'm counting <laughs> yes. my blessings <laughs> but similar to the individual portion of this competition with another year uh, also uh young is gone for you as well yeah exactly i'm getting more towards old than young which i guess is what murph or michelle <laughs> Sorry, that was a five mile hike to get to uh, for that one I thought you'd appreciate it. No less from this podcast. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Okay. Uh, we are down to just five people in the individual portion of the competition. And this is going to be next week, uh, the final team competition. But yet, uh, there are two episodes. So we have, we'll have to ask Phil about the formatting here. I'm not really sure mm -hmm. exactly what the schedule is looking like. But I, I guess let's just talk uh, big picture. Just uh, what did you think about last night? Uh, I thought it was I thought it was terrific television. I thought it was a chance to get to know a few people that have kind of gotten the purple edit up until this point. Uh, and I think from a storytelling point of view, we really needed to see one of Danny or Murph have a moment where they stumbled. Because if neither one of them stumbled throughout the entire competition and one of them ends up winning, which I assume is what's going to happen. Mm. Maybe not. That would be great, too. It really would kind of suck all the suspense out of it. So we need that moment of one of them actually coming in danger of getting eliminated. And we've not really had any truly unsuspected eliminations up to this point. Like there are everybody has done an amazing job and people have stumbled and you know, I don't know if we would have expected Lewis to go out as early as he did, but from like a terrific, from a usual reality show expected standpoint, the people that have gotten eliminated have by and large been the same people that would get eliminated on any other show up to this point. And so we need to see, we need to see something happen that is out of the ordinary. And I think we got it this week. And I think we, it was to have Murph, who's been amazing at everything, including the thing that he was, afraid of previously to have him really not just be bad at something, but to tank it spectacularly, it humanizes him. It makes him better television. It makes him more fun to watch. And the way he coped with it was just absolutely inspiring. All right. Here is the host creator, executive producer of tough as nails, Phil Kogan. Yes, Phil. It, it's official now that I'm, I'm here and I'm a little late and I apologize for my tardiness and um, I was just doing an interview. So, yes, thank you for your patience. Yeah, it's OK. We've been we've been taking our McClouds and we've just been clearing the brush for the, the past few minutes before you came to the real material. 
I thought you were going to say that you were late because you had a few fires to put out. Oh. Uh, no, but you know, how ironic was it that on a day that we were honoring the firefighters of America and bringing attention to the training that they do, and here I think it was something like 367 reported fires in California. Wow. All the brave firefighters who were out there, not just in the day, but can you imagine what it's like at night? How scary that is. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think, um, yeah, I mean, just randomly we end up on a night when there's all these fires and it was incredibly hot here in California yesterday. So uh, I thanked the firefighters online, but let me thank them again because, as uh, Young said, they are the baddest badasses of firefighters out there. Yeah. And they literally put themselves between us and fire. And that is something that not a lot of people have the nerve to do. Yeah. Uh, and it's a great service that these uh, firefighters do that uh, put out these brush fires because I live in the San Fernando Valley where we have uh, a lot of issues with this. And we've definitely, we, you know, we've we've had times where it's like, OK, we're tracking the fire online. It's like we've got like a bag ready to go. Do we need to evacuate? So it, it is, uh, you know, a real, real scary thing to sort of like uh, be in uh, the vicinity of one of these things. So uh, it's uh, really amazing to see like the, the work that goes into trying to prevent these types of incidents. Yeah, and it's, it's one thing where you can see a fire in a building and then everybody's planning to go into that building and put the fire out and there's a procedure because there's more, it's more predictable, I guess, in, in terms of like they know how fire spreads from one floor to another. But when it's out in the wilderness and it's happening over miles and the wind is changing direction and they're going in one way and suddenly the wind comes behind them and then turns the fire and rushes them into corners and traps them. And I mean, it's so scary, so scary what they go through. Uh, Like you said, with the timeliness of it all, I think it was it was a great way to honor. I mean, I think what the show has done a great job and the mission statement was really to highlight, you know, how uh, how fantastically underrated some of these these more uh, under the radar jobs can be in in our country, and I think that even something like firefighters, which obviously is sort of at the forefront, I would say. I think there are still parts of those jobs that go unrecognized, especially like you said, when you read a headline about a California fire, you don't necessarily think about the the huge amount of effort that goes into clearing the brush or saving the hurt men and women. So this is a, a great way to even honor a profession that while it has seen a light of day more so than some of these other concentrations, it's still, you know, I learned a lot of new things about it. Look, was it a great episode for the firefighter on the show? No. Was it a great episode for the firefighter profession? Yes. In my opinion. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and we'll talk about that, but, uh, yeah, I mean, for people to just know what a fire break is, for them to understand why they are carrying a Pulaski out there and, and a McLeod, like to, for us to even visualize that when we look up into the mountains of Santa Monica and we see a fire and we're thinking of those men and women who are working with those tools and just how physical that is and and how quickly things can change up there and the choices that they make about where they put those fire breaks and the terrain that they're putting those fire breaks into, at least we have some perspective and that when 
the firefighting department come around and ask for some donations to help fund a, a local volunteer fire department or to help make sure that the stations are up to scratch with the tools that they need, literally the tools that they need to protect us when all hell breaks loose. Now we have a visual of that. So yes, absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, I, I know there was something online from one reviewer who said something about how, you know, the show was trying to say that these essential workers are better than other workers. And that was mm-hmm. never the intention. All I'm all I all we set out to do was to, to just say that sometimes we've undervalued essential workers. And can we at least value them at the same level that we value the dentist that we go to and mm. um, the computer expert that we go to and all the other people in our society who are essential for a, a society to function. Not that they're better, but that they are as important. And so I've never set out to say that somehow these essential workers are better or that these job choices are better. It's more just that never look down on these jobs and appreciate these jobs just to bring them, you know, just to bring the appreciation level up to how excited we are when Mary from Mac, you know, 911 comes in and fixes our computer and we're so excited. I mean, you know, whatever. (laughs) Phil, did you just accidentally name the newest show coming to CBS Mac 911? (laughs) <laughs> it's actually the name of my favorite computer store in Santa Monica. So actually a, <laughs> shout a, out. And, and a shout out to Felix, uh, who is my go-to guy in Santa Monica. Um, he's, he's amazing. Um, but anyway, I've been with him for 30 years and he's like, I'm like, Felix, I can't get my computer to work. And, you know, I really appreciate the guy, but, um, yeah, no, it's that, that's really what it was about. And, um, so, Last night, it just sort of heightened the importance when we saw all that training they go through, and um, and then the work, the physical work, and then the and then the skill sets that they bring to the job, because those choices that they make up in those mountains that save lives. Uh, well, it's I want to walk back to something that you touched on very briefly, Phil. You mentioned that you read a review this past week that highlighted. A while ago. I'm sorry. It was oh, a while okay. Ago. Okay. Yeah, because. I did read I did read a really great review this week uh, on realityblurred.com, which yes. I'm sure you saw this as well. And and uh, the great Andy Denart uh, is cover, has covered reality TV for years, and he is yeah. really impressed with Tough as Nails in kind of the same way we are and has noticed a lot of the same things we've noticed about the storytelling and the message. And but he brings up something that I had not heard and that um we have never really discussed that um the initial um that the initial theme song had lyrics that were kind of insinuating this very message that you're trying really hard not to not to project that um that there's some kind of point of pride um that makes this type of work better than other jobs and it's it makes me think maybe initially you had to walk this back a little bit so i'm I'm curious about this yeah so um in order to set the tone for the show we had some lyrics um that kind of encapsulated the essence of the show and in the in the initial um cuts that went out 
to reviewers, those lyrics were in the um, were in the, the the cut that went out to the reviewers. Um, it was a placeholder piece of music. It wasn't the final piece of music that was used in the show, and it was a it was a placeholder. But it kind of set the tone for what the show was about. There was nothing in the lyrics that pointed to. Uh, th- there was one line where where uh, it was, you know, some people go to college and they get a fancy degree, but that's not for me. That wasn't saying that going to college and getting a fancy degree is not good. It was just saying that for some people going to college to get a fancy degree is not for me. I much prefer to be outside chopping trees or I much prefer going out on a boat and fishing. So that wasn't to say that an education is bad or that being educated is not as good or those jobs that require a fancy degree, like a dental degree or whatever it is, is somehow uh, not as good as uh, it wasn't meant to ever be. And uh, this is the I, I think this is the issue. Sometimes people just don't want to go to the gray area, which is does it have to be that extreme? Does it have to be one or the other? Does it have to be that if someone makes a choice to be a mechanic and be an apprentice first and then be a mechanic for 45 years, that that somehow is better than the person who whose family pushed them to go get the fancy degree? Does it make one better than the other? No, that's not that was never the intention. The other lyrics, some of the other lyrics were that, I, you know, these are people that sweat on factory floors instead of gym floors. Is it bad to go sweat on a gym floor? No, it's great that people are active and they're going and sweating on a gym floor. But for some people, their work is their gym. So, I mean, it was the, the lyrics were to set a tone for some of the people who, A, don't have the energy at the end of the day to go to a gym or afford to go to a gym, who, who don't swipe gym cards, but instead punch time cards, who wear work boots instead of workout shoes. Not that it's better, but that that's their lifestyle choice and that we should not judge that if they make that choice to go to a fancy gym where it costs you know, X amount of thousands of dollars a year and that that's their workout and that's how they stay healthy, that that's any better or worse than someone who doesn't go to a gym but is physically fit from going to work. So um, I think sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's like politics, right? It's so easy to go black and white and every, there's no gray, right? So uh, I think by highlighting what we are highlighting, you instinctively are going to polarize some people's opinion. Like, what are you telling me? You're telling me that somehow these people are better than these other. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that for a long time, we have considered some of the essential jobs that people do less than the jobs that other people do. So can we just acknowledge these people? Why does it have to be one or the other? Why can't it just be, wow, we really love that. At least put 10,000 roofs on houses around the country. Why can't it just be that? Why does it have to be compared to, but what about the dentist who's done 5,000 crowns? He's done 5,000 crowns and he had to go to you. Yeah, that's also valuable. But I'm not doing the show about the dentist. We're doing the show about the essential workers who are working with their hands. So is that okay? (laughs) You know, does it have to be Shark Tank? Does it have to be about the person with the latest, you know, life-changing idea? No, it doesn't have to be. This show is about people who have calluses on their hands. They're proud of those things. They chose maybe not to go to university, and that's okay. 
They're important just the same. And can't we all just get along? (laughs) Why does it have to be right and wrong and good and bad? And no, we're not. It's not a political show. No, of course not. And I think we've been pretty clear that you have succeeded in this goal. But I, I think it is it is interesting because I it's a very hard tone to strike that it is like it has stayed very neutral. Um, It's celebrated these people doing these jobs without insinuating that if you went to law school, it was, you should have been doing something different. And I think, because I think it does go the other way a lot. It's like, well, why did you go, you know, why, why are you, why are you working in a factory? Why are you putting roofs on houses? Why are you installing drywall when you could have done this other thing? It's like, mm. well, maybe not. Maybe this is the thing you're good at and you're enjoying what you do and you shouldn't necessarily put a value judgment on either one. And I think we've I think I think the show does a great job of pointing out there are other options that are equally valid and equally great and this is the thing you celebrate without saying that it's better than something else somebody could have been doing. It shouldn't be a comparison about what's better. Yeah. Is, there, is there an Uncle Bob who has two nephews, one's a drywaller and one is a high-powered lawyer? And does Uncle Bob maybe think, oh, that high-powered uh, nephew of mine who's a lawyer, you know, does Bob have some bias that he's more valuable to society than dr- his, his nephew drywall Danny? Maybe. But... But all I'm saying is one isn't necessarily better than the other. Was it harder for for the nephew who went to law school and who maybe got honors in his degree? Was it harder for him to get through his education than maybe, you know, Danny was through his training before he did his job? Yes, you could argue that. But then you could also argue that Danny burns more calories at work and works harder physically than the lawyer does. But it doesn't make one better than the other. It, to me, it's about how do you contribute to society? How Are you proud of what you do? Are you good at what you do? Do you have value and do can we acknowledge the value of drywall Danny's work just like we can acknowledge the, the, the value of the nephew who's the high-powered lawyer who just won some amazing case that made it into the news and made them famous? And that's all I'm saying is is in their own way, they are better than each other at different things. And that is fine. That is good. That's healthy. That's that's what maybe that one nephew is better suited to being a lawyer and drywall Danny is better suited to being a drywaller. And that's good. We need people to drywall and we need people to be high powered lawyers. So, yes, it shouldn't be. It was never the tension with Tough as Nails was never to create a division between working class people and 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 white collar workers it was never meant to be that it was just to say hey maybe those white collar workers have had plenty of limelight and maybe it's time to put the spotlight on some other people for a change because i don't think that they get as much time in the spotlight as some of the people who make the news mm-hmm. when they make big yeah well i'll do i'll do respect phil that is not a that is not a divide you would be creating <laughs> That is a divide that already exists in a big way. But I think this episode is a really good time to revisit this topic because I think the message that I came away from this episode was that there are jobs out there that are so incredibly difficult 
that are also so incredibly important and that you can see the fruits of your labor immediately. And there, there's got to be something incredibly fulfilling about that. And I think to highlight it, especially, especially firefighting right now is, is extremely important. And to look at that and say, that is not something that I'm physically capable of doing. And I have so much respect for the people that do that. I learned so much about what they do and how they do it. Just from watching this one episode, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, well, that, that's appreciated. And, and, you know, as I've said all along with my conversations with you, you can never you can never get everything right. We're still mm-hmm. learning. We're still we're, we struggle with how much of what we put into the show, how much of that van chat that people seem to be gravitating towards. How much do you put in of that? And what we're seeing is that people really like it. Now, we didn't know that when we set out to do this show. The van, the drive time, drive time was an element in the format that I put in there kind of as like, well, maybe we'll need it because maybe we'll want to draw out the stories, but maybe it won't work. You know, we went to all that effort to shoot it. Mm-hmm. 14 cameras in all, um, you know, seven cameras in each van, huge amount of setup, microphone, individual microphones for every for, for 12 people doing it remotely. The amount of man hours that went into just setting that up, getting that rolling, the amount of data that I will show you where it's all stored over there on that computer, um, the amount of data that it ate up shooting all of that drive stumps, drive time stuff, scrubbing through it, looking for that, that pertinent moment where Lee and Miles are having that really powerful conversation about the older generation and the younger generation and what Miles saw when he looked in the mirror being the only, you know, seeing himself and the only other black person that was in this job site, him. These are powerful, powerful conversations. You don't know how they're going to sit. You try it, you see, you take the feedback. You know, I've been listening to you guys. I've been listening to the fans. I'm going to, you know, listen, you know, take it all in. But at the end of the day, can't, you can't, uh, you can't please everybody. Oh, I want more, I want more, you know, uh, yelling and screaming and breakdowns, or I want more competition, or I want more conversation, or what? You have to make a decision as a showrunner to to go. I get it. I'm hearing you, but this is what we're going to do. This is the path we're on. Let's stick to it. Let's believe in it. Let's not di- try to dilute it because if you keep, if you try to. To, to please everybody, you, the, the format, the, the, the essence of the show, uh, the vision is going to dart all over the place and you're going to end up with some, you know, you're going to end up with vanilla ice cream. There's going to be no flavor. There's going to be no tone. There's going to be no real sense of something that is new and different, which is most susceptible to market research. So, yeah. For what it's worth, I like vanilla ice cream personally. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. a bit of chocolate occasionally right <laughs> yeah i, I want to ask you phil because for me it seemed like this the individual challenge and the overtime challenge in particular seem like probably the physically toughest challenges yeah. we've had so far to the point where like you can see how completely gassed these people are and these are people who took a five mile hike to start the day and were like oh i'm hunky dory when you're planning out the sequence of challenges over the course of a season, do you purposely try to scale them in terms of intensity or did it just happen that because this was a week to sort of represent the firefighting uh, occupation that, you know, the toughness for lack of a better term of those challenges happened to factor in this particular week? 
Yeah, it's, it's, it, that's always a gamble, right? You know, we, we do tests on the challenges. We put um, people who are sort of representative of the cast. So we'll do a male, female, uh, bigger, smaller contestant measurement to kind of get a sense of how, how hard it is. You can never get the adjustment perfect. Um, and then there's the randomness of, for instance, in the individual competition running into that building, you know, there's big, powerful Murph. He took 12 something minutes or whatever it was, mm. literally going 10 minutes longer than anybody else. He's in this hot building, disorientated. There's all this stuff happening around him and bottles are falling down and simulated acid baths and sparks. And, you know, he when he came out, you know, you could see he had nothing left. How intense was that for 12 minutes? And look how gassed everybody else was when their times were like two, three minutes. Mm. That's how intense that was. That was so sometimes not necessarily about how long, it's just that, that intensity. So we also have some time constraints about how long things can go for, uh, especially when you're running something like that, which is all, um, which is one after the other, you know, which is another thing we played with. Um, and you don't know, like, is it better to run everybody at one time or is it more exciting to run them one at a time or in pairs? So, you know, your season one, you're trying different ways of doing it. Um, and the answer to it is sometimes, I mean, that played out better than I thought it was going to. I'm not a huge fan of the one after the other kind of challenges, but it ended up being really exciting. Um, I love the mass starts. I love like, go find me an alternator. And there's 11 people running around and you're cutting between each one. And there's Lee like wandering off to another pick apart and, you know, there's all these, there's all this randomness happening at one time, but both of them worked in their own way. Phil, the thing that's really surprised me about the show, and I don't know if you have gotten this feedback from uh, other people, but I, I have found that I, I really came in thinking like, I'm going to be very invested in the individual challenge. And really huh. the team challenge is like, okay, that's like the appetizer. That's that's the warm up. I'm not really going to care about that uh, so much. But I I found myself that I uh, care so much yeah. about the team challenge. Where I, I would say I'm pro- I think I'm more invested in the Savage Crew versus Dirty Hands than <clears throat> I am. Not to say I don't care about the individual challenge, but I am uh, like really invested in uh, this rivalry between the two teams. Yeah. Oh, it's great to hear you say that. Um, you know, that's been the, there've been sort of, uh, there've been a few things that have, that have been most satisfying about what we've attempted to do. One is just how much people love the cast. We were not given a mandate about how people had to look or we weren't given a mandate about how old they had to be. We were just given a mandate to find the most interesting people of any age who represented what we are defining as tough as nails. And so I think that's a huge part of why the cast we've had got cast appeal. The second part of it that's been so satisfying is exactly what you're talking about. I didn't know in doing this, how people would respond or whether they could track or whether we were able to separate the two mutually exclusive competitions running through the show. Like I wasn't sure whether the viewer who's so used to tracking one competition for a reality show 
did they have the ability to track both and care about both as much as the other? And then what was going to happen with the dynamic of people who were up for the individual who have a lot of money at stake and how they would respond to being responsible for their team? Would they sandbag it for the sake of being fresh for getting that big overall win? Or would they really buy into, no, 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 this is all about team. And I can shut that part of my brain off for a second because I'm going to do whatever it takes for my team. And that's been the most satisfying thing about this whole experience and the way that people have responded. And next week, show nine is probably the best hour of competitive television that I have ever been involved with. Wow. Um, Tall order. And uh, 35 years. (laughs) But it's, it really... In that, in this, in the next episode, everything that we wanted to happen happened. Um, in terms of the dynamics and the competition, and obviously only one team is going to win, and um, you know that that comp- that competitive aspect and everything that's come from before it all comes to a head. But um, incredibly satisfying to incredibly satisfying to be involved in something where you take a huge risk where there's some doubters about whether this can work and then you stick to it and then everybody believes in it and you go and you execute and then thank God the audience responds in a positive way because we have all seen countless formats try something new and different including from very successful reality producers and it doesn't always work because that magic sauce, it's not in a bottle somewhere. It's, it's, it's random <laughs> when it works. <laughs> in the team challenge, uh, there was, uh, you know, a lot of times we see like the one team has like a different uh, strategy than the others. Here, I, yeah. I couldn't really tell if uh, Savage Crew had some sort of a different idea than Dirty Hands was going with. Did this just come down to just sheer hustle and uh, willpower? Or did you notice there was one thing that Savage Crew was doing differently? I didn't. And I got to be honest with you, uh, the the Firebreak Challenge was incredibly difficult difficult to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, just being in the brush. And uh, yeah, I mean, I can imagine. It seems like you guys were caught in a dust bowl for most yeah, of the challenge because of that wind. really hairy out there. Um, it was sunny, then it was stormy, then the wind came up, then the wind went down, then it was sunny. I mean, we got like four seasons like in a in a half hour period. It was ridiculous. It was just, I mean, they're literally throwing stuff down the hill and it was, you know, I was illustrating how it was coming back the other way. Then it was sunny and calm. And then it was windy again. <laughs> so it was very difficult uh, to track because sometimes they would have done a lot of work and the brush would still be on the ground and so it was very difficult to call in looking over to be able to go, you know, it wasn't, I, I think I said in my, my dialogue, it was, it's impossible to call right now. And it really was impossible to call. It was like, I don't know, because have they got that out, but it's just sitting on top and they just have to move it. Did it just blow back over the top of an area that's already mm-hmm. clear? So it was a tough one, tough one to call, but it was, it was exciting. And then it was great to see Callie. She was my favorite actually for just, because you could see what she'd be like on a boat. She doesn't take any crap from anybody. 
<laughs> just yelling get in there what are you doing oh my god yeah i did love it super sassy callie was a very was a very fun uh four person it's it's interesting because it did seem like i don't know at least from what you were narrating was that dirty hands at the end was sort of uh sort of personalizing the dynamic you talked about last week a bit where it just seemed like it, it went to a bit of chaos and maybe it was this idea of like savage crew is ahead. So we just need to like do everything. Cause like seemed like Lee was off on his own and Callie was, you know, being like, what are you doing? You know, it's stop checking right now. So maybe it could just be that thing sort of like have what happened with savage crew a few weeks ago. Of like when you see the end yeah. in sight, the adrenaline just overpowers and, and you make mistakes based on that. Yeah. And I, I'm so proud of what savage crew managed to do. They almost rallied in six. It was so super close. I mean, how close was that finish? You can't script that stuff. And then um, and then in seven, they get the win. And then in eight, they get the win. And they've they've come from way behind. And Dirty Hands, I think, got, you know, a little cocky. And I think Miles called it correctly in six when he said uh, the oil barrels. He's like, guys, that was lucky. Like, we didn't actually do a better job. We, we got lucky. And I think Savage Crew, after the, all the talk in the damn van, they, they – um, by the way, Jess, you're so talented with your drawings and everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I, I hope you saw my call out to you because yeah, I did. I, I, I think we we, sh- we need to get a copy of those for the office because um, they should go up on the wall here somewhere. Um, I mean, so- whatever you need, man. And I'll, I'll do one of you next. That was that was what the whole cast told me. They're like, why isn't Phil in this picture? Yeah, I am getting some criticism about not raising my eyebrow more. I'm like, uh, oh, I forgot. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Wrong show. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of trademark. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, so uh, I'm very proud of them. And it obviously makes for great TV, the fact that they rallied back again. And Lynette is just one great soundbite after another. And she she's like, you know, thank you for whooping our ass, you said last week. Thank you for whooping our ass because you showed us what we needed to do and we rallied together. And then, you know, in the van, I just love the van chats when they're by themselves and they're like, wow, you know, we really did it. We really were listening to each other. We're working together as a team. So to your point, Robin, it is true that that team dynamic is so cool to watch. Yeah, I want to call out another soundbite from this scene because I think I think Murph said something that. I'd never hear on any reality show, even one that's team based. He said, I was more excited to see my team react to this, to this victory than I was for myself. And I mean, part of that is because like, he's just about the only one left on his team. And literally this episode, he is the only one left on his team who can compete for the big prize, but also that they are such a cohesive unit that the other the success of the other team members is more important to him than his own i thought was a really powerful message that even other shows that are team based don't ever really go to that place yeah and and um it's great that you picked up on that and i think that just has to do with murph's character um like murph is the guy you want by your side in any challenging situation you can see why He's led troops on tour, uh, protecting the country, and why he's that he's that solid go-to guy that will always be there for you and has got your back. And um, you know that speaks to so many in our military who learn that from day one of their training, which is you're a part of a group. This is not about you. This is about 
what you can do to contribute to this bigger team that we're all a part of. So he gets that in spades. And these are great messages for kids to be watching. Um, and he talks about that, you know, with his kids. I love when he references his kids and he says, you know, I want to I want my kids to see me fail so that they can see how you can come back from failure because that's strength and that's strength of character. And that is a message that you can be a lawyer and have that. And you can also be somebody in the military and have that. Um, but showing good, uh, good good messages or, you know, showing those messages to people. I think we just need more of it. And I'm not, and again, I'm not saying that we don't have to have the shows where people are dysfunctional and we can all watch those shows. I'm not saying one's better than the other. All I'm saying is that on our show, we have a place to be able to accentuate what is right and, and not necessarily drill in on what's wrong. And we need that right now. And that's why I think the show is giving some giving people tears in their eyes and a nice good feeling in their heart because they look at that and they go, man, these are really cool people. I want I want to hang with them. Like somebody said online that you know Lee is TV gold, and I I couldn't agree with him more. I mean, I, I if I could have Lee around me all the time, I just like, <laughs> hey Lee, what's up? Hey, we you know, like. You want to shake? You want me to get, you want a barbecue? Should we go have a bar? I mean, I would love to have Lee around me all the time. I love this guy. He's TV gold. And uh, when I say that these people love each other, uh, they really do. And there's that mutual respect and I love it. I love seeing it. I love seeing how they, they really respect each other at the end of the day. And you'll see with the way that the whole series finishes this respect and the, the team that wins and then the person that wins there's a respect like, yes, you deserve the team win and you deserve the individual win. Congratulations. Well, and that's, that's also something that I think a lot of people have no idea how to do. Um, I think when you hear that um, you want to be positive and you want to bring positivity about there's, I was, I, I wish I had the article in front of me. I was reading something about the term toxic positivity, where you just kind of throw these empty platitudes about you can do it and keep on trying and everything's going to be okay. And it's hard to back that, that sentiment up with something genuine and concrete and tangible. And this show does it. This show says you know you want to win but you also you also need to you can celebrate your victories and you can learn from your defeats at the same time and you don't need to hold it over other people that you have done something better than they have done and at the same time if you didn't win you can still bring something you can still do something good with what you've learned from that without just saying it's okay if you you know if you've if you've lost you know you can win the next time it's going to be fine it's like maybe it won't, but you can also. There's a lot to be derived from the journey. Yeah, no, it's really it's a good observation, and and um, I think platitudes are one thing. You know, words are cheap. Actions, uh, when you can show what you're saying, or you can illustrate what you mean, that is all powerful, and that's what I love about these these people, all of them, is that they front up, they step up, they they do what they say they're going to do, they give it everything. And these are great examples. 
um, you know, from a parenting standpoint, it's one thing for a kid to say, oh, no, I've learned my lesson. I understand. I won't do it again. <laughs> OK, well, show me that you are going to now make that change. Turn what you're saying and that sentiment, and I believe you, but turn it into action and show me it with your actions rather than just just saying, I'm going to do it or I'm going to fix that. So we see that illustrated. And I want to say something about Young because obviously this is a firefighting challenge. He had a time that was a respectable time compared to, you know, if you look at the times overall, he had a respectable time and way behind him is Murph who got way, way behind. And it just so happened that the times were very, very tight and young ends up going into overtime. Now, one of the reasons that his time was slower in the individual challenge is that as a firefighter, you're taught to make Mm -hmm. a left check. So it actually hindered his, he wasn't like a rookie going in there. He was doing what he's trained to do, which is always go look behind the door and then move to the left, move to the left, move to the left, move to the left. And following his training, that slowed him up enough that he then was slower than some of the other rookies who just kind of went in freelance, barged around, knocked into things and didn't use the proper technique. Murph, as we saw, got completely lost. But who was the first person to run to Linnet in episode two? Yeah. Who's the first person to run to anybody who has ever needed comfort? Young. Who was the first to run to Murph when Murph completely collapsed after the individual challenge? When he knew that Murph was last, who's the first person to run up to him and offer him a hand to pull him up? Young. So Young may not represent. And look, look how far he went, too, by the way. So for all the people that want to criticize him and, oh, you know, he made it into the top six. He made it to episode eight. And when he was in overtime, he was incredibly resilient. And the time separating him and Murph, and Murph is a machine, was 17 seconds over a 10-second challenge of running out all those hoses and going to the top of the building against someone as formidable as Murph. So, again, it's easy to point fingers and, you know, and and look, he, he how how gracious and humble was he owning it? Like, mm. oh, I can just wait till I get back to the fire station. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, young, this was meant to be your this was meant to be your job and you were meant to win. I mean, the guy, he's a team player. He epitomizes what it means to be part of teams. So I would only ask that before people start criticizing him and putting him down, that they look at his better qualities as a team player before they start pointing fingers. Because it ain't easy what any of those team, what what anybody is doing on this show. It's hard. It's hard. And the thing about Young that I really want to bring to light was actually something that Lynette pointed out when they're sitting in the damn van and they have this like Wizard of Oz moment and she really points out how Young has such a great attitude the entire time where I think arguably, at least from a vocal perspective, he's been up against the most. We can count on so many hands how many times he walks to this challenge and says, I have no experience with this. And even somebody that he had the most experience with, he still had trouble with, but you never heard him grouse about it. You never heard him grumble about it. He was someone who always just like smiled, maybe to your point, but would make sort of like a self-effacing joke but then just move on from it. And I, I do wonder how much of that is, you know, the stuff that, that Young has had to work against 
in the past, what he represents being, you know, an immigrant, a child of an immigrant, first generation immigrant firefighter who probably does not work with many people who have a similar experience and just learning to take hardships that come your way with a smile and a chance to say, well, I'm just going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to do a better job than I did the day before. And that to me is inspiring. Even if young does not perform to the, to the manner that even he wanted to do the way with which he approached, you know, coming up short time and time again was a really, really nice thing to observe. Yeah. And Mike, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, so to speak with understanding what did it take for young to get to that fire job like that you know firefighting job what did it take for the son of an immig- of an immigrant family to walk into say i want to be a firefighter when it's not typically a job that goes to a lot of koreans as he said he never saw anybody that looked like him on tv he's not re- represented certainly overly represented in the fire department what did that take to go in there how many people kind of looked at him sideways like you know, again, we all have like we all know that there are certain, especially with families of immigrants, they're not necessarily encouraging their kids to go to do. And this goes back to what we talked before about this whole class issue, which is the the motivation for a lot of immigrants is to make sure that their kids get a college education to get a better job. Right now, that is worthy and it's important and I, and again, I'm not saying one's better than the other. Education is all powerful. You know, Nelson Mandela said that about education. It's life changing. It, it opens doors. But what I guess what I'm saying is that might not necessarily always be the option for every parent who's trying to encourage their kid to find purpose in life and to be a happy person and to be a contributor to society. And so young went against the grain, if you like, because his parents had different expectations. What was that like as the son of immigrants? We came to America, we put all this hard work and made all this sacrifice, and now you want to go work for the fire department. They wanted him to go to university. And so that is a strength also to show that, no, he wanted to do, he wanted to forge his own path. And he's a guy who literally saves lives now. He's important. And now his parents have seen his place in that job and they see the value of that. So he's opened their eyes up too, to the possibility of how he can be happy and how he can be a good contributor and make a good living. And it doesn't necessarily involve going to uh, tertiary education. And again, I'm not saying one's better than the other. (laughs) I'm saying, look at this guy. He's prepared to run into a burning building and drag someone out of a burning building and save their life. That is valuable. That's important and it should be acknowledged just like Bob the lawyer. That's all I'm saying. Uh, This is another empty platitude that you hear all the time that people have tried to illustrate in the past and failed. And this show is the first place I've seen it really illustrated in a way that is, that has anything backing it up. The idea of book smarts and street smarts. And street smarts is something people truck out all the time. And I think the type of practical intelligence that that phrase is meant to describe is put on display in this show in a really compelling way that doesn't seek to make it seem more important than the other thing or even really seek to compare the two. It's like this is a type of intelligence 
and this is applicable to a variety of situations in life. Right. And, and when I, I often think of my grandfather who never went past, uh, you know, he finished school at 13 because his parents wanted him to go to work. Now, their mentality was school's a waste of time because you should start working and contributing and earning your own way in life. And so they, they halted his education. My grandmother, her education was halted because she was a woman. So she only went to school until she was 15. Now, when you consider that both my grandfather and my grandmother were the top of their class when they were pulled out of school, it makes you wonder what their path would have been like in life going forward. And I often talk to my daughter about this, who did very well at school. And I say, they were not given the choice. They were told, this is the path that you have. And for some kids, it works the other way where a kid might say, you know, Mary might say, mom and dad, I want to be a mechanic. I want to leave high school and I want to take an apprenticeship and I want to, I love engines and I love taking engines apart and I want to be a mechanic. And the parent maybe doesn't give them that choice and says, no, 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 no. You're not becoming a mechanic. You're not going to do that. You're going to go to university. So just as my, just as my grandfather was not given a choice, there were some people who are not given a choice not to go to university. And then they come out a lot with, with, uh, some come out with a lot of student debt. So all I'm saying is, regardless of where we all come from, as parents, it's important for us to listen to our kids and to look where our, the skill sets are for our kids. There's some people that are destined to be, um, to, to be you know, diplomats or to wor- work with people in the tourism industry or to be artists or writers or Whatever that thing is, it's important as a parent to listen to what will what it is that inspires them, makes them happy, that they that they can then take that passion and not try to plug, like not try to make up our minds for them about what's best for them, but to listen and look at that individual. And if they're saying to us they want to be a musician, that we encourage them to follow that dream, that path that we don't just make mandates about, no, 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 no. You're going to this college. I went to that college. I know the thing I can get you in. As opposed to, you know what? If you want to be a mechanic for a few, why don't you go try it? You can always go to university after, see how you like it. Or why don't you go do some work experience and see what it's like and and see whether that's what you want to do. So that's all I'm saying is that the pathway for all of us we, sh- we need to listen to each other because we don't know what people are capable of if we don't allow them to explore their passion, whatever form that comes in. Speaking of path, uh, how, how surprised were you with Murph's performance in the individual challenge? Because, uh, I mean, like Jess said, this is a, this is a high-performing person up yeah. to this point. I know you sort of justified it partially by saying, you know, his height might have had yeah. an effect, especially with that first obstacle of, of crawling under the gate or the grate. But just from your own perspective, what was it like to, to just watch him definitely have, you know, the toughest experience, even more so than the two times he's had to conquer his fear of heights on the show? Yeah, well, that's been one of the great things about the show is just some of the big surprises. Um, there was a lot of randomness involved with that challenge. Mm. 
um, meaning there was a lot of luck involved, like how quickly, like for Young, he got himself behind straight away because he did what he was trained to do. So he went to the left and then he finally found his way. And then Murph uh, was standing up tall. He didn't think to go down low. So it goes back to what Jess is saying with regards to street smarts. Um, he just wasn't necessarily thinking the way that a firefighter would think, which is you kind of got to get down low and you got to, if you heard Linda, she said, I'm looking low, I'm looking high. I'm, you know, she was like scrounging around and then Danny went in there like a million miles an hour, moving around, knocking things all over the place. So they all had their different uh, approaches and um, his approach just didn't work. And then he missed that crucial, that, that, you know, getting underneath the tunnel, which was the only pathway to get to the, uh, to the victim. So yeah, it was surprising. We were, I mean, all of us, we were like, Oh my God, he's gone right back to where he started. And it's like, what? <laughs> How did he miss that? But he did. Phil, I want to ask a question about the conversation we saw between uh, Miles and Linda in the episode, which was, you know, uh, really uh, an amazing conversation and yeah. especially very topical with everything that we saw happen here in America this summer uh, in the wake of George Floyd and with the uh, Black Lives Matters uh, movement. Was that something, and I don't know how far ahead you cut the episodes, but was that something that when you guys got to post-production on this episode that when you saw that conversation that that got included or was that something that was going to be in there from before that was even such a huge topic of discussion here? It, it actually started before um, and was highlighted on the big, you know, our big storyboard about conversations, reality conversations that we had only because you've got Linda, who's the sheriff, who's, you know, law enforcement, who's a white woman with blue eyes. And then you've got Miles, who, as he said, has been on job sites where he's the only black person on the job site and who has suffered at the hands of, uh, you know, racial bias. Um, and so it was a powerful story from the beginning. And that's part of why we wanted to bring all these different people in from different backgrounds and follow some of these stories. But it was a very, uh, a very powerful, very poignant moment. And then, like you said, as with a lot of things that came up this season, um, it became more, it became even more top topical. Um, uh, you know, there was a lot there. There was a lot more than we, we had time to delve into on the show, but we definitely wanted to, we wanted to hear miles talk about the fact that when he first saw her, his first instinct was, Oh, she's probably going to look down on me and, you know, treat me uh, a certain way. And then vice versa, she she was saying, yeah, I was worried about how you might think I am. And there's, you know, there's definitely some people that don't wear the badge with honor. And, you know, again, this is not a right and wrong situation because there's there are good law enforcement people. And, and uh, but then there are others that abuse their power. And, um, and we, we have something to sort out. Like we've still got a long, long way to go to sort things out. So these these conversations on a show like this are important, if only to sort of see, let them do the speaking. Like we're not we're not the commentators on this, just like we weren't the commentators with Michelle and Callie talking about the whole age thing or Miles and Lee. Let them they are it. Let them speak for it. And 
then people can draw their own conclusions, but we're not there to be the judge and jury of, uh, of, of who's right or wrong, or, you know, we're not, there's no bias there for us. We're just saying, Hey, this is what they have to say. Let them say it. Let them say what they have to say. Well, you did sort of hint last week when we were talking to you that this conversation was coming. Mm. And I, I have personally loved that we've had a conversation like that every episode, or at least one where you have two people who probably wouldn't have ever crossed paths if it weren't for this show to have a moment of connection and reaching out to each other. But I have to say, honestly, I wish we could have had like 10 more minutes of this conversation because mm. I feel like it almost, and maybe it's just because we've been so admired in this discussion all summer. Yeah. It really, it felt like it skimmed to the surface and I know it's not what the show is about, but yeah. I really, I, I think something deeper happened there and I yeah. feel like I wanted more of it. And, and you'll get some more uh, in the rest of the season. Good. Um, but, you know, this Good. is one of those things, Jess, where, where, you know, and look, Louise, my wife and producing partner, she's the one that's responsible for pushing like crazy <laughs> for the. Um, Did she just say hi when you called yeah. her name? Hi, Louise. <laughs> <laughs> she said she loves your show. Um, but she's the one that's been really pushing very, very hard for the story, the, 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 the story mm -hmm. of our characters. Our show is defined as a competition reality show. Um, what you're talking about, Jess, is something that you could do a whole hour on easily. And mm -hmm. there was a, trust me, there's enough conversation going on in the van with the average of 45 minutes each way. So in two days, we have three hours of drive time in each van. There's a lot of content and there's a lot of discussion. But it goes back to what I talked about before is we're making a competition reality show. How do we pepper in these conversations? And you're right. There's times where they feel like we're skimming the surface because there's much more to dig into. But what we've tried to do is continue those conversations through the season, not just literally like where it's Miles and Linda talking, but then also in how they interact with each other, which is representative of that topic, if you like. How are they with each other? How do they do they respect each other? How do they talk to each other? Because um, that is as powerful as being very literal, like I'm going to say something, you're going to say something. But just to show, do they respect each other as teammates? How do they treat each other? How do they talk to each other? So, um, yes, it's a it's that fine balance because mm -hmm. we've got, what, 40, 42 and something minutes it's a lot put into an, an hour <laughs> yeah. of TV, and we've got three primary challenges every time. Yeah, I, I appreciate it's a tall, it's a tall order. It's a lot to ask in a very short amount of time, and yeah. there's, I think, you show it in more than just the dialogue for sure. Yeah, yeah. I also, I Miles has become one of my favorites personally uh, on the season, and I think it's just because we, he's had such an interesting like mini arc over the past few episodes. You know, I think it was two episodes ago that we found out about his son and also like the very, very scary circumstances, uh, that brought his son into the world. And I will admit like seeing him talk about his son as a new parent definitely made me choke up thinking about that, that worst case scenario last episode arguably hits rock bottom for lack of a better term, uh, you know, ends up in overtime here, he wins the individual challenge. I think he's maybe one of the only people besides Danny and Murph to win an individual challenge. So I'm really happy about that. You know, you, you, you always wonder with the OT survivor, like how they're going to bounce back from that. And I think that Miles had a really 
nice upswing from that. And that's made him, in my opinion, like a, a pretty legitimate contender in this late game. Yeah, I, I'm glad you um, I'm glad you picked up on that. And how amazing was his face when I told him it was the fastest, the way his face just lit up. <laughs> yeah. He was like a little boy, yeah. right? He was like, me? Like, it was me? I was the fastest? It's like, it was such a joyous moment and uh, so proud, you know, and also a very gracious competitor. Like, he's always the first to acknowledge everybody else's effort. Um, he's the Zen master. He's like very cool and chill and people picked up on that and it's had a really positive effect on his team. But um, yeah, when you see a big powerful man get choked up talking about his kid and then you see that love uh, that somebody can be that tough and big and strong, but then also that gentle and soft to cradle a child and to have that love, that deep love for another human being um, again, you know, powerful messages. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're really proud. He's quiet, you know, in casting a lot of times with characters, uh, especially if you know that people are going to be eliminated, there's a reluctancy to, or reluctance, sorry, to cast people maybe who are a little quieter because, if they come on and then they're eliminated early, they, they're the quiet person who just sort of went into the cold, dark night. Um, whereas on a season that has them for the whole season, it's okay to have the, you have to have quieter characters to juxtapose the bigger characters, the bigger voices like the Danny's and the Lee's and even Michelle or the stoic ones like, you know, the Sarah Connors, like the, you know, the Linda character, and, and so Miles, Miles was the person who was the Zen master, right? Like his, 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 uh, his temperament is very even, but it's an important note in the orchestra. You know, you can't have all, everybody can't be up here. And some shows are, they just inherently go after everybody's going to be up here. We got to be up here. We're up here, up here, up here. And it's like, we have this real ebb and flow. Like when you cut between the different characters, you're getting the, Miles, I'm a Zen guy and I love my family and da da da. And here, and then it's drywall Danny, like, I want to go. I want to go to lunch. I just want to be first. I don't know why. I just want to be first. I, I got to talk about, about Danny when he's taken off for the individual challenge, like the way he's like poised on the platform, like Ninja Warrior. And he looked like a cartoon character, like yes. pointing at the whistle to take yes. off. I, I loved that. That was, it was and really. Then- Fantastic. And he proceeds to probably bash his shins by just banging into all these cans <laughs> yeah. as his eyes get adjusted to the dark. Yeah. You're, you're, it's amazing you picked up on that. But yeah, it was like, Danny, are you ready to save your victim? And he goes, you know, like, point the finger back at me, like, for the horn. I'm like, I guess I press the horn now. Time to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and watching everybody handle that challenge differently was really fun. And you do kind of get how Miles and Linda can connect as people because they're both so chill. And it's, yeah. it's a strange thing for a sheriff's deputy to be chill, but she really is. Like, you watch her go into, she's kind of, like, glides into the challenge and is like, okay, buddy, time to get you out of here, and then kind of hauls him out. I, I loved watching her perform this challenge in particular as well. And, and how did you feel about, you know, this, this is a challenge where we use the power-to-weight ratio, so everybody yeah. hold a victim that was their weight. 
Well, you did it a couple. You did a couple of different things. I noticed to calibrate this challenge for everybody. Having the victim be their own weight was one of them. But then also, everything took place inside a pitch black room where nobody could see what each other was doing, and the victim was in the exact same place every time. And the yeah. first time I I saw the challenge get run, I thought, well, are they going to have that victim be on the stairs every time? And in a way, that was also an equalizer for Young because he was saying that's not where you'd typically look for a victim first. Right. It and, just so happened. I didn't get into it in my commentary, but that was where the simulated acid bath was. So the idea was that that victim, uh, that there was a, an explosion or something happened and then the acid fell on that victim. And that's why he fell because he was he was dipping rims. It was actually a simulated um rim factory where the where the where the worker the victim was dipping rims car rims into a into these big vats of acid and then there was an accident and then the acid got i mean we didn't get into it but that's oh no i needed the the narrative of the hurt man personally this is why we need you here phil like the week where we had the lineman challenge i had the same question like i need the i need the hurt man backstory so this is this is why you're here man yeah and i love that it was like an electrical outage in a chemical spill in an acid burn it was like a turducken of disasters which i thought was (laughs) Uh, really heightened the drama. It was a disastrous disaster, and uh, we, we threw everything, everything in the kitchen sink at it. It was like it was mayhem in there. Yeah, it was very. It was. I liked uh, Miles talking about it, comparable to a haunted house, because that's what it seemed like to me, like a nine one one themed haunted house where things will just pop out at you. Uh, but they were again, they were all champs and able to like. You know, I think they're also very used to like putting their heads down and like pushing through no matter what the circumstances are. So it seemed like, again, probably with the exception of Murph, everyone did a, a really respectful time for what seemed to be an extremely complicated thing. I can't imagine dragging my own body weight through an entire warehouse back where I came from and then out into the into the open wild. Yeah, I loved young Callie. When she dragged her victim out, she goes, oh, man, it made me realize I want to lose some weight. And then she goes, <laughs> she goes thank you. You know, like, you know, look at the victim. <laughs> that was so good. You can say thank you. I saved you. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe his maybe his lips melted off from the rim acid. Oh, yeah. Maybe God. he's unconscious and he can't speak. Yeah. Some terrible like, let's, yeah. Let's have some respect for the dummy. When he got two episodes left, can you believe that? <laughs> I don't know how where the season's gone very, very fast. Um, oh, my God. I promise you a good episode next episode. And, and the next two are good episodes. And the, and the uh, finale is two hours. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the last one is two hours long. Bill, I thought Lee had a great line again last night. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, no. oh, I know. I, I know what you're, yeah. you're going to play. <laughs> uh, I want to play this for you. And then maybe uh, since you've spent so much time with, with Lee, you could tell us what he's talking about here. Get your popcorn ready. Just get your ring size seat. This going to be a, a wang dang doula. <laughs> this is going to be a, a wang dang doula? Get your popcorn in your front row seats. It's going to be a wang bang. I don't even know, but um, I think I think it's wang, wang dang, dang doodle, doodle. Not no doodle. Wang bang doodle. Like I thought. I maybe he wang was dang describing doodle. the OT as a duel, like uh, you know, uh, Burr Hamilton. But how how great how <laughs> great listen. was? Here, hold on. Get your popcorn ready. Just get your ring side seat. This going to be a, a wang dang doodle. Yeah, wang dang doodle. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Wang Dang Doodle. Wang Dang Doodle. Yeah, Wang Dang Doodle. 
Um, so, of course, we all know the meaning of a wang dang doodle. And, uh, That's so there's kiwi, right? What's that? Is that a kiwi expression, Phil? <laughs> Please tell me it has nothing to do with a sheep. It sort of has to do with mucking <laughs> and being a real battler. Um, but, um, yeah, look, I, oh, my God. I love this guy. I mean, he... And you know what? Uh, he... You know, the team challenges next week, and, and uh, let's just say Lee... Lee, Lee, Lee wants to do everything for his team next week. Everybody is pitching in big time, but Lee is like this, you know, it's the last team challenge and Lee wants to be there for his team. And what I love so much about Lee is he always acknowledges everybody's efforts. And the way that he acknowledged what Murph did in the overtime and called him out, about facing his fear and went over to him and congratulated him. You know, it was everybody. We, we all had tears in our eyes only because we could just see what he was pushing through. And as you remember from episode three in the pick apart, when Murph talked about losing friends in a helicopter crash, that fear of heights was much deeper than just the fear of heights. That was, that had, a, there was a lot of emotions coming out of him because of friends that he's lost serving in the military and the guilt he felt before he realized that he wasn't responsible, but the guilt he felt with the helicopter going down and some of his friends being on board. And so, you know, some deep emotions there. And so Lee's the guy who he, he, you know, calls it out. I mean, just says, I got respect for you, man. I got a lot of respect for you. I know I can see what you're doing. And I just want to tell you, I'm proud of you. You know, I just loved it. Indeed. Uh, we talked out. Is there anything else you want to bring up, Phil, about the, the firefighters of it all? Uh, only just, just to say thank you to all the California firefighters mm-hmm. who are dealing with over 300 fires right now um, and firefighters in general. But, uh, yeah, and thanks. You know, our ratings were really good again last night, and we won, we won that. We won the hour for viewers and the demo and – you know, for a new show, that's just, it's very satisfying. It'll help keep the show going. <laughs> you never know. I mean, you don't know. Ratings are at the bottom line. You got to, you got to make sure people are watching the show. So we're, people are tuning in it's, and, and that's, it's very, uh, it's, so many people work so hard to make the show. It's just, it's satisfying to see the people are watching the show and liking the show. So from that point of view, it's good. Yeah. Pretty sure they call winning your time slot a wang dang doodle. So maybe Liam's just wang dang doodle. I would suggest you grab your popcorn and, and get a front row seat because nine and ten are going to be wang dang doodles. Wang dang doodles. <laughs> okay. Wow! Can't wait. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh! Yeah, what was that? Ooh. One man. <laughs> One bag of popcorn. One front row seat and a wang dang doodle. Tough as nails. Wow. Holy uh, moly. Oh, there's a hidden talent. Only Central CBS. Yeah. There you go. All right. Listen, um, you guys have interrupted me enough. I got to get back to work. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh. You heard that whistle? 
Yeah. <laughs> Phil, can I ask you something real, real quick? Okay, I just wanted that. This is just a a question that I think a lot of a lot. Now, Rob, as I leave, as I try to make my graceful exit, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're not one, done yet. One question, and then you could you could hang up if you don't want to answer this question, Phil, because uh, that a lot of the fans want to know. Do you realize? Do you have any any idea? How much drama you created, uh, and 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 the amazing race in general, in season thirty-one in Switzerland with the U-turn vote, Phil? <laughs> would you be surprised to know that there is still reality TV drama coming out of the fallout of the Amazing Race thirty-one and the U-turn vote between the Riley sisters? Nicole Franzel and Janelle that's playing out on Big Brother All-Stars. I have to be honest with you. I had no idea that this was uh, such a world-changing event. Uh, you know, it is an election year, and there are, there are a lot of people focused on on who we're all going to vote for. I had no idea that the voting that happened in Switzerland yes. uh, was so controversial. Um, and uh, Maybe there are some who don't want to accept the vote. Um, and that's maybe where there's some correlation. I don't know. But I would need you to explain to me why this was so controversial. Yeah. <laughs> these, uh, these big brother teams are still fighting about this uh, Amazing Race 31. Even when they're invited to each other's weddings, Phil, there is yeah. still drama from back in Switzerland. <laughs> I'm raising my eyebrow only because I'm switching codes into my amazing race code mode uh i am gonna take a vote that i get the hell out of here yeah. okay smart, <laughs> smart. yes okay all right i don't know what to say rob yeah I'm- phil i just i i just thought that you that that uh i want had wondered were you even aware that there was this controversy still spilling no. over into other shows like a toxic vat of acid that has just uh gone over no, and um, well, I feel like a little bit of a victim, but you know, Switzerland is a very neutral place, and there's maybe a reason <laughs> not here. And I would like to play the nation of Switzerland in this moment. And um, hey, I'm not saying it's better to go to college or better to be an apprentice and a mechanic. I'm saying I'm Switzerland, and I accept everything. <laughs> okay, all right. Just like I accept whatever the hell is going on online, and people, let's focus on voting. And uh, like votes that really count right mm-hmm. now, instead of this other vote that happened in Switzerland many eons ago. Yes, a very long time ago. <laughs> All right, Phil. Many holes. Phil, thank you so much. Of course, uh, so great to get to talk to you every week. I know the listeners really appreciate it. Yes, God, you've eaten up my whole day, haven't you? Good oh, God. Sorry, Phil. <laughs> The last straw was asking him about Big Brother. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay. All right. We'll talk soon. All right, Phil. Thanks, take Phil. care. Thanks, Phil. All right. All right. Have a great day. All right. Bye. I so, promised, Phil just. Yeah, I promise. I made a promise that I was going to ask Phil about that. Phil just told Big Brother Nation to get a life. <laughs> Very much channeling William Shatner and the Trekkie sketch. Yes. SNL, right? Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what he just did. Oh, speaking of that, um, when Danny ran into the burning building, uh, this is what he had to say. Just does Danny speak Klingon? What is he saying there? Was that Kapla? I don't know. That's what it sounds. Oh, oh, I, I need to, I need to find this out. Contextually, um, that would be correct, right? 
Mm. I, I, well, it's more of a greeting than like a battle cry. So maybe he's sure, saying but... hello. I mean, it may, now it makes sense as to why he's always so gung ho, right? Like he's always ready for battle. His attitude would be like, "This is a good day to die." <laughs> Today is a good day to drywall. <laughs> to drywall. <laughs> Who's what is, is like Lee? His uh, chadich, uh, his chalich. Get your popcorn wow. ready. Just get your ring size. Say this gonna be a, a Wang Dang duel. Okay. Yeah. Little known fact, Wang Dang Doodle is is derived from the Klingon. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that, that's why Lee wasn't drinking. They weren't drinking milkshakes at the barbecue, right? It was just blood wine and prune juice. <laughs> oh, boy. It's a warrior's drink, Mike. Yeah, okay. That's, that's what you do. Hey, guys. Tomorrow, you're going to get trashed. Ooh. It's like, okay, Phil's off the call. Now it's time to start talking about Star Trek. Okay. I mean, Phil is a Star Trek fan. Is he, he was in. He was famously in a Star Trek fan production. Um, there was a fan produced TV series called Star Trek Phase Two, and he appeared in it. He had a cameo as Admiral Kogan. Admiral Kogan. Wow. Oh yes. my God. Well, now we know what we're talking yes. about next week. Uh, the Big I, Brother blind item. I guess he does have like the signature Spock eyebrow raise uh, down. Yeah, I mean, it was. It's worlds colliding. It's like yeah. my Amazing Race universe, my Star Trek universe. It's all the things I love in one place. It's all, it's all happening. Okay, uh, Justin, do you have anything else you, you want to say from Tough as Nails from this week? Um, from Tough as Nails from this week, um, I, I think we've kind of, we've covered a lot about Murph, but I want to say again how cool it was for him to be so forthcoming about how afraid he was in that moment and for everybody to be so supportive of him like it was kind of like it was dealing a blow to toxic masculinity if you ask me because you would not expect a guy like that to just yeah. say i'm afraid of this and it doesn't even really like the the confrontation of it was great but just that he was so open about how he was feeling in the moment he's like actively pale as he's coming down the building i thought it was fantastic television and it makes me like murph a lot more Toxic masculinity, uh, that was one of the things that was uh, the hazardous material that had spilled in the warehouse, right? Toxic yeah, that'll melt you. Yeah, all those yeah. things. I, I, all the toxic stuff just melts your face oh, right off. I, I forgot to ask Phil, like, I wonder, did when you're training as a firefighter, do you have to undergo all that at once? Or was it like you can select usually what features to put in and Phil and the team just decide to put everything in there? Because it legitimately, from the, the description that Phil just gave, was the origin story of a Batman villain, mm -hmm. quite literally. <laughs> like, this is how Rim Man turned out mm. to be the way that he was because of this unfortunate day in the factory. That name needs, needs some yeah. workshop, Mike. By the way, Jess, is the Hurt Man basically like the Travelocity gnome of Tough as Nails? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of screen time this season. Like, uh, really, well, somebody should sponsor the Hurt Man for season two. I, I'm still waiting for Hurt Man to come up with a novelty Twitter account that live tweets the episodes the way the Roaming Gnome yeah. used to do. Maybe Band-Aid could sponsor uh, Hurt Man. Or if they bring back the crash test dummies that like hit an uh, ad that turned into a cartoon slash action figure set. I feel like Hurt Man could be the front of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, Mike, do you have anything else from Tough as Nails from this week? I, I mentioned it before, but I love that moment in the damn van when Lynette goes through what every person taught her. Because again, it was like very, again, very Wizard of Oz of like, this is what you all did. And I also wonder like, you know, how many, if we're like power ranking them between, you know, Michelle taught her uh, how to not quit. Young taught her how to take everything in stride and smile. Tara taught her it's okay to be emotional. Murph taught her it's okay to be strong and silent. 
and Lewis taught her how to be resilient. Like you have to wonder from a Linnet perspective, what are sort of what does she pride the most amongst those five virtues to what does she pride the least? See, I was just about to say that we needed a we needed a our own wand off for tough as nails where somebody could be writing a song to the tune of the one hit wonder crash test dummies. And now I just want Ariana Grande in there. I want to hear one taught me patience and one taught me pain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. We need a wang dang doodle song too. yeah wang chung doodle everybody wang dang doodle <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. rufer lee uh, get him in the uh, what are we calling the uh tough as nails wand off that's a good question okay we'll work I, we'll need to workshop that as well <laughs> drywalled off <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if we're trying to create content for Drywall the Musical, I think this is a good source. Yeah, it's it's true. Okay, and I was I was also thinking uh, with regard to Danny, that man is nonstop. So, okay, great response this week for the Bloom Tat set that went online. If you want to get your set of three Mike Bloom uh, removable tattoos, uh, temporary. Just to be clear, they're not of me. Yes, uh, (laughs) hey, that would be fine too. I'll, I'll do that for the next set. I mean, we have we have some fan art of Mike Bloom we can yeah. throw in there. All right. Uh, they're Wang Dang Doodles. If you want to check them out, go to robinswebsite.com slash Bloom Tats. Just worked hard on these designs. Getting them ready. Uh, you get a set of 10. All the proceeds are going to... Set of three, Rob. What did I say? Set of 10? Yeah, yes. set, of, set, set of three, set four, of three. ten. Set of three. They, are, they cost $10. Uh, <laughs> head on over to robinswebsite.com slash Bloom Tats for that. Okay. Mike, what do you have else uh, going on? All right. Should we play Two Plugs and a Lie? Oh, yes, please. (laughs) Okay. So, so this week, I... Let's see. Now I'm trying to think. Okay. So, this week, uh, I get to talk to the host and narrator of the upcoming second season of Love Island, which is filming in Vegas and premiering on Monday. Uh, on Beyond Top Chef this week, we get to cover the hit uh, USA slash pack slash coming to ABC series Supermarket Sweep. And on the Big Brother B&B this week, myself, Liana Boris, and Haley Strong are going to rate the outfits the various house guests have been wearing this mm. season. I think that the third one is a lie. I, I, think, I don't think Haley Strong is the guest. Um, I'm going to go with Supermarket Sweep. That kind of seems beneath your Top Chef collective. How dare you insult Supermarket Sweep, Jess? You and I both love David Ruprecht, but that was indeed a lie. Uh, no, we're talking Guy Fieri this week uh, on Beyond Top Chef. Uh, but I do indeed have an interview coming up with uh, Ariel Vandenberg and Matthew Hoffman, not that Matt Hoffman of Love Island. We're going to be talking with Haley Strong on the Big Brother B&B this week. Survivor B&B, Liana Boris and I recapped uh, Coach's big journey out of Survivor Token Sheen. That was a fun episode. I, I, had a, I can't wait to hear what you guys did on the B&B with that. Yeah, but we had, uh, one of the games we did was, uh, was this, is this a coach quote or a Dr. Seuss quote? Uh, and we also did a dramatic reading of the first chapter of his book as well. So a lot of coach <laughs> to be talked about over the course of the Survivor B&B. Over on Post Show Recaps, I've actually been doing a bit of pinch hitting for Josh Wiggler. Uh, so I have, was very lucky to get to swing in on the Lovecraft Country recap which if you haven't seen yet is the brand new series from hbo i absolutely love the pilot 
it's it's just I, I don't even want to describe the show to you because I want it to be a complete surprise. But I get to join Kevin Mahadeo and newcomer Latanya Starks on the podcast to break down everything from a jam-packed pilot. I'll also be joining Kevin to talk about Spider-Man Homecoming as well on Everything is Super. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Going to be guesting on the one of the LFC roundtables as well for Big Brother 22, as well as doing exit press on Parade.com. So there's a lot, a lot going on in the birthday week. Okay. All right. And again, happy birthday to you, Mike Bloom. Thank you. You got got a a nice shout out also from Chappelle on the Big Brother recap on Wednesday night. Have you had a chance to hear that? I haven't finished it yet, so I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to keep on keeping on to, I guess, use one of my catchphrases. He claimed that he is the <laughs> ultimate Mike Bloom stan. Is and I said I've heard other people make that claim. Oh my goodness! Well, now we need a, something on the sequel mechanism for Renap, I suppose. Yeah. Most recently, I heard uh, J. E. Skeets of the yes. No Dunks podcast tell me that he's the world's biggest Mike Bloom stan. I don't know what I did to deserve this. Everybody, your checks are in the mail for saying that. Thank you. Uh, but I, I, Chappelle has been awesome. The class of 2020 has been really awesome in general. They have really been, you know, the people coming in like spec mix style, bringing the heat, bringing the takes. And so I've, I've, I've been really happy to, to hear them on so many different parts of podcasts, including Chappelle, including Latanya, and including many, many people. Uh, over the over the shows, including maybe when we get into Amazing Race in the near future, we might have some some class twenty twenty peeps oh, there that'd too. Be fun. That'd be fun. Dot dot. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right, Mike. Should we have a, a podcast tournament to see who the biggest Mike Bloom stan is? I mean, listen. Or how long steal. is it? No, it's a brand how steal. Lo- it's yeah, brand but how steal, long? How long is the Survivor off season again? Yeah. Okay. That's. I want that to be the next <laughs> fight for to be the Mike Bloom uh, biggest stan. All right, so steel. yeah, they're gonna have a to give out their steel. own ratings in terms of like, well, how do you rate your physicality? How do you rate your emotions? So we can we can program it accurately. I love it. I love it. Okay, <laughs> uh, Jess, what do you have going on these days? Um, well, over on reality TV rehab ups, we have Mole Patrol. We're taking a week off this week. Um, Josh Wiggler can't be with us, and you know he is the beating heart of Mole Patrol. Mm-hmm. Uh, but next week, uh, Brooklyn Zed and I are going to be putting a pause on the continuation of watching the 2001 series, the mole, and we're going to have a spoilerific feedback show. So if any of you want to talk about everything that happened in season one, of the mole we will be putting the call out for feedback. And we're going to talk about all of the things that you should have noticed if you have seen the whole series up to this point. So mole patrol continues apace. And then over on primetimer.com, probably not by the time you're reading this, but next week I have an article dropping about tough as nails. So I feel like all of the information that I have learned over the course of this season, I need to distill it into some other outlet. And so it's going there and I'm really excited about it. You're posting an article about everything I need to know in life. I learned from watching tough as nails. This is where an alternator is. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is how you get a a hurt man out of a building. Um, This is uh, how a hurt man would be lying on the stairs during an acid spill power outage fire situation. How you wire a house. Right. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, that is one of the platforms I'm going to be speaking about. I'm going to be talking about, uh, all of the 
all of the reasons that this show has been such a balm for us this summer. And I, as by us, I mean the viewing public. I don't just mean the three of us getting to talk to Phil every week. Yeah. Although if I were writing it from my perspective, that is certainly one thing I would say. Mm-hmm. Hell of a balm. Hell of a balm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And right. I've also Wang been, Doodle, yes, sure. I've also been doing tough as nails fan art, which you can find on my Instagram or Twitter. So now the question is like, so are you going to make a special portrait of Phil? Cause I was thinking if you're going with the mystery machine ma- comparison, would Phil have to be Scooby-Doo? Um, I, I have been told that, uh, Louise actually sent me a picture of Phil's dog to include in the portrait. So um, I think I'm just animating it as if Tough as Nails was a 1970s animated series. And I'm sure it would just look exactly like the regular show, but with cartoons. So we do need to have Phil be a part of that. So yeah, he he may have a talking animal sidekick. If this was the 70s animated series, I do think that the Hurt Man would be a... uh, big part of the show and a character who would also like help them with solving the mysteries they would drag the hurt man out of the building and then they'd be like yeah i expected a thank you and the hurt man would like look up and he'd look at the camera and give some kind of quip yeah he'd be like i'm no dummy (laughs) (laughs) it's all in a day's work yeah i I think he'd probably end up being the scrappy do right like the thing that's brought in to help ratings everyone's like like god (laughs) God, let get her get rid of hurt man (laughs) is is I thought Danny Drywall was the scrappy do of Tough as Nails. <laughs> Danny Power! <laughs> All right. Well, we have uh, a ton of Big Brother, uh, if that's something that you're into. Unlike, or if you're like Phil. Uh, like Phil. <laughs> Maybe not, not so much, uh, but we'll be back live again on Thursday night to recap uh, this week's eviction. But in terms of Survivor, uh, got a lot of uh, great Survivor content up for you as well. Uh, T-Bird was able to track down Keith Famey, had a fun chat mm. with Keith Famey. He talked about what he's been up to uh, since Survivor. No longer cooking. He is now uh, behind the camera working on making some uh, documentary films. He tells us about what he's doing there and tells us a few stories about his time in the Outback on the latest Talking with T-Bird. And then uh, Shannon Gus joined me to talk about the uh, famous Martyr Approach episode of Survivor Token Chains. Uh, And that was a lot of fun. And we had a wand off as well on the Wiggle Room Through Time with Shannon Gus this week. So check that out at robhasawebsite.com. And of course, uh, all this podcasting is made possible by the patrons of Robert's Podcast. Check out everything we're doing at robertswebsite.com slash patron. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.